Welcome to Strange Darkness Radio, where we take you on a journey into the unknown and explore the darkest corners of the human experience. I'm Sky, the AI voice of the show, and I'm excited to introduce your hosts, Bobby Washington and Carolyn Gray. Together, they will be your guides through the eerie and unsettling tales that lurk in the shadows. From ghosts and hauntings to cryptids and extraterrestrials, we cover it all. So, get comfortable, turn down the lights, and prepare yourself for a journey into the macabre. It's time for Strange Darkness Radio. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Strange Darkness Radio. I am your co-host, Carolyn Gray, here with your host, Bobby Washington. And tonight, we are discussing The Other Side, a funeral director's story with our special guest, Rebecca Dillion. Welcome to another episode of Strange Darkness Radio. Today, it is our absolute pleasure to introduce Rebecca Dillion, the Director of Operations in the mesmerizing mortuary industry. Rebecca's remarkable work takes her through the intricate landscape of funeral homes, where she compassionately tends to the departed and offers solace to grieving families. But what truly ignites our curiosity is the prospect of encountering otherworldly phenomena within this spiritual realm. With her hands-on experience in preparing bodies for viewings and overseeing the operations of three funeral homes, Rebecca possesses a unique perspective that allows her to delve into the realm of ghostly presences. Or does she? Some individuals possess an extraordinary ability to shield themselves from such encounters, making them ideal candidates for this extraordinary line of work. Today, we shall unravel the enigma surrounding Rebecca's connection. As we embark on this thrilling journey together, we eagerly await Rebecca's mesmerizing tales and her exceptional experiences amidst the somber halls and whispered echoes of the mortuaries. Has she ever witnessed a ghostly apparition or encountered paranormal activity? Prepare yourselves for a captivating exploration into the ethereal realms where the boundaries between the living and the departed converge. Join us as Rebecca skillfully guides souls to their ultimate destination, providing closure and serenity along the way. Rebecca, welcome to Strange Darkness Radio. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Yes, Rebecca, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and how you got into this particular line of work. Well, it's definitely not something I ever thought I would be doing ever. Um, But I had been recently moved back to my hometown and my sister was working at a brand new funeral home, kind of like a startup funeral home, uh, privately owned in that town. And they were looking for help for removals. So night removals. And that's basically where when somebody passes away, we dispatch staff, they go out and pick them up and bring them back. So it's kind of an on-call type position. And I thought I could use the extra money and why not do something with my sister? And so I jumped on board with that. And after a few months of doing that, they offered me a full-time position in the office. And basically the rest is history. That was in 2013. So I'm going into my 10th year Wow. Um, of being in the industry now. Yeah. That's that's remarkable. 
So, <laughs> so you didn't plan to get into this field. You didn't like go to school for it. It was kind of just a coincidence. No. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. So when you took the on-call, um, you know, job, was it just to place the calls for drivers to go pick up or were you actually a part of that, you know, pickup process? Right. No, I was actually a part of the removal team. So being that I would get up out of bed in the middle of the night, go to the place where the person has passed, whether it's a hospital, a care facility, a residence, um, and remove them from that place and take them back to the mortuary. Oh, wow. That's interesting. <laughs> so what what exactly does that entail? Like what's the process of that? So basically... Um, there's no timeline for death. Like it happens at any time of the day, regardless of the day, it, it doesn't discriminate. So basically if somebody were to pass away, for example, let's say at a hospital, the family will have to choose a mortuary in that area to come and pick up their loved one. And if they picked our mortuary, they would, the nurse or the facilitator from the hospital would contact our on-call phone number, and then we would be dispatched out. So my phone would ring in the middle of the night. I would wake up, have to gather myself, get in my car, drive to the mortuary, pick up a van, mm-hmm. and then drive to the hospital or the place of passing and then kind of go through the motions of removing the person and bringing them back to the mortuary. Wow. That's, and you... That's 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 amazing. <laughs> Just because in, in knowing you... Um, Throughout all these uh, years, might have been mm-hmm. decade attached to that, but um, right. to to know that that's something that you're even capable of doing is incredible to me. So I just have to say, so <laughs> I didn't know I was capable of it either, <laughs> to be honest. And to be honest, if it wasn't for my sister, who's my older sister and somebody I've always looked up to, if it wasn't for her, I probably never would have done it. But because I had her to guide me and I trusted her, it kind of became easy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Go ahead, Carolyn. You had a question. Just so are you, you're the one who actually picks them up, wheels them out on the gurney, loads them yes. up. Or, I mean, you do yeah, all of that so by yourself. We have, um, it depends. It depends on where the person has passed away. So if it's like at a hospital or a care facility, a care home, a senior citizen home, the staff is usually there to help you transport the patient from the bed to the gurney or the cot. We call it a cot. And then um, I would okay. transport it and you know get it into the van. But if it's at a, at a residence, like somebody's home, then we always send two people. Um, you don't ever want to show up to somebody's home without backup, so to speak. So there's two people that go in and right. do the removal. And you don't really ever expect the family to help to have to help you move their loved one. You know what I mean? So. Right. Imagine that could be traumatizing. Yeah. For sure. I mean, it could be, we try always to make it as seamless as possible. Um, and, you know, we kind of go over with the family, what's going to about to take place. You know, we're, we're going to move, you know, your loved one from their bed over to the cot, you know, cover them with the cot cover and bring them into the van. And almost always we ask them if they want to leave the room so they don't have to be there to witness that. Oh, that's like I said, that's that's mm-hmm. incredible. Just the whole process and um for you guys who do that type of work, um, to me is just, you know, I guess God sent in the sense of, you know, you have to have the fortitude and I mean, how do you situate in your mind, you know, 
not envisioning yourself in these situations, whether it's, um, you know, the process of picking up a body, the process of working on one, or just, you know, from the casket standpoint, being inside the casket, you know, not seeing your own mortality in that situation or those situations. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I don't think that I've ever put myself in the situation of the um, the decedent. So the the word decedent is what we call somebody after they've passed away. Okay. So they go they go from being a patient like on hospice or at the hospital, and once they've passed, they're we call them a decedent. So I've never put myself fully into their position um, unless it's somebody that is around my age Mm -hmm. and usually that's an unexpected death. And then it's just, it kind of shocks me back into reality. Like, Oh my gosh, that person's my age and it's very real and people my age can die, you know? Um, And so, or if it's somebody that I know that's passed, that's also, you know, something else. Um, But I, other than that, like I've really learned to, put myself there for the survivors, for the people that are left behind. And so I work a lot of my job helping them through the whole process. Yeah, that's incredible. So you've worked on people or... Have um, you? Go ahead, Carolyn. Yeah, I was going to ask, have you ever handled someone that you actually knew personally? I have, yeah. Yeah, I have. I have. I, um, the one, so most of the times it's been like, oh, somebody like a friend of mine will call and be like, oh, my dad is dying. Can you take care of my dad? So I wouldn't know like the dad personally, but I would know the the daughter or the son. Um, there was one in, yeah, there was one direct instance that I've only had one in the entire 10 years, knock on wood, I guess I would call it two, but it was a husband and wife. Um, that we directly were friends with and um, it was a murder suicide and I oh my yeah it was super yeah it was super sad and both families came to me because they knew me but I had to keep them separate because of the situation so I had to deal with you know the the murder side and the suicide side of the families and I basically took care of them from the very beginning all the way through to their cremations on by myself because both of these families were oh. looking to me to take care of that. So, yeah, that must've been hard for everyone, but I mean, especially you, are these cases ever difficult for you? Even, even the people that you don't know personally, is it ever like tough to just see someone like, yeah, you know, see the family grieving? Yes. It's very difficult. Um, to work with families when it's like somebody's really young, um, uh, like a child, you know, in the past year I worked with, um, a serviceman, a military active duty. He was 21 and he committed suicide and I had to work directly with their family. And there's some families and most of the time it's the really, really, really young people or the very traumatic deaths that really get to me. And, um, it can be difficult for me, but I do my best to hold it together for the family, but also show them a side of compassion that, you know, I'm not a robot. Like I do have feelings and I, you know, want to be be there and help them through the process the best that I can. Um, but it can, there are situations that can be very difficult and I try to be professional, but also honest with the family and I'll tell them, 
you know, a couple of times I've told families, like, I can, I can feel your pain. Like I can actually feel people's like sorrow Mm -hmm. and grief in that kind of thing from time to time. And that can very much be very much be difficult. And I do my best to leave that at the office and not carry it with me. Not take work home with you. Right. Man, I'm, right. I, I'm stunned right Imagine now. That can be just, hard, though. Yeah, just based upon because <laughs> you know my thing is I always relate everything to me when I'm <laughs> doing <laughs> doing these shows or uh, talking about situations. But one to me, I hope they have a psychologist on staff, or if they don't, they need one because to me that would be a a lot to take on every day, you know, every yeah. month, every year. Um, yeah. it, it would seem to weigh on a person. A tough so, job. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. that definitely is. Um, because it's not, you know, it's whether the person's older, I mean the director or younger or the mortician or any staff members, um, you know, you, you you know, would to me you would have like, you know, <laughs> I I would always put myself not in the situation of, of the people, but just take on the task of making sure this person goes off you know, out the way they want and everything, you know, um, done possible for them. And I would take it home because I'm just that type of, uh, empath when it comes to that type of stuff that would, that would weigh on me after Um, hours. Right. Especially if you're an empath, this, this field must Mm -hmm. be really difficult for those types of people that just absorb the energy of others and and really make it perfect. When I first started in the industry, it was very, very difficult for me to not carry it with me um, after I left the office. And it took it took a lot of work for me to be able to separate the two and to leave that at at my work. And that was my job. That's what I was doing there during the day. But I needed to not let it have a hold on me when I left work because then it would affect my personal life. Yeah, for sure. Um, and right. yeah. And so I did, it did, it was very difficult the first maybe like year or two in the industry. And now it is easier for me to leave it there. I mean, obviously there's it, time to time where something kind of sits with you and, but it's good to have those people in my life that I can kind of talk to about what happened that day and, you know, go back and forth about it and, you know, talk about how sad it was and the feelings that I had and, you know, and just a kind of, kind of like a therapist, yeah, you know, you process, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh-huh. So, um, so it is definitely a learned trait. I don't think it's something that you just go right in and know how to do it. I think it's something that has to be learned. And now uh, I've, that I'm seasoned in the industry, I'm able to, to show other people that are brand new in the industry and kind of guide them through that and, and help them do, you know, the same thing that I was able to do. Um, but I definitely still have, you know, the feelings and the empathy for these families. And I really feel like it's my job to do whatever I can to get them through this part of the loss of their loved one as smoothly and as I can, so they can go on to the next stage of grief and not be sitting and waiting for, you know, my, what I'm doing, my part in it to be over. Yeah. Wow. Um, so you don't drive anymore. Now you are, are you the director or what is your position now? And what, what do you do? Yeah, so my technical title is director of operations. I no longer go on removals unless I, unless I'm like requested specifically by a family that might know me. 
Um, otherwise, okay. I won't go on a removal. I manage three funeral homes um, that oh, wow. are all staffed. So, um, I, so I manage the staff. I manage the daily operations. Um, I meet with the families to go over the arrangements for the wishes, whether it's cremation or burial. I generate death certificates. I communicate with um, like the veteran cemeteries to have veterans buried. A lot of communication with the community, doctor's offices, that sort of thing. I make sure all of our vehicles are, you know, up and running and they don't need anything. And if they, so it's just kind of all the operations of, of the company, uh, along with working with every single family in my hub. So there's three different funeral homes. I work in the busiest one. And so I tend to every single family that comes into that funeral home. And then from time to time, I will have to go to one of our other satellites to meet with families, depending on the staff and what's going on at that time. I do a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, that's busy lady. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, so, okay, so I have a couple questions. Um, as far as like you know, in dealing with um, you know the people you know that you guys have to you know shepherd on to the to the next life. Um, mm-hmm. What you know does it did it. I don't I'll say sit with you in the sense of, you know, how the body makes different sounds and all that stuff when you're, you know, you, you whether you're, you know, when you back in the day when yeah. you used to pick up or you're actually right. working on a a, a person. Um, ha, right. Did you become used to that or did, did it any of that seem paranormal to you or is it things that, you know, you understood as the normal process? So the very first removal that I went on was with my sister and it was our girlfriend's grandmother had passed away and she passed away at her home. And so we went out there and I was just following my sister's lead as the very first dead body I had seen ever. And we were getting ready to transition her from the bed over to the cot and her arm fell and grazed my leg. And I didn't see this happen. I just felt it. Yeah. And I kind of like jumped back and it took me a minute to be like, her (laughs) arm just fell. (laughs) It wasn't, (laughs) you know, she wasn't reaching out to touch me, but her arm just fell. But I had to like go through all of these thoughts in a really quick time frame to get myself to where not to freak out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Not panic in front of the family members. I would have passed out. Just for the record. (laughs) Oh my God, um, I, I would have screamed. Say <laughs> most of the, like, there's definitely like some, there can be some like different sounds from the decedent after they've passed, but most of these things happen right after they pass. Um, so once we get them back into the funeral home, we don't see a lot of that there. Oh, okay. It's mostly, yeah, mostly it's going to be at the place of where they passed and especially if it was, you know, within just of an hour or so, and then you go out and move the body and then there's exhaling and, you know, stuff like that still can happen. So, but yeah, that first one definitely like, it like got me right into like right away. I was like, Oh gosh. And I was like, Oh wait, it's nothing. It's just the arm mm-hmm. just kind of fell. Cause we're moving her. <laughs> and I very quickly had to start telling myself that these people that I'm looking at that have passed away their person is no longer there like that. And it's just an empty cavity. Yeah. Like a shell. Right. Yes. That used to hold the person. So once I started kind of telling myself that it was a lot easier to not freak out every single time I went out and and removed somebody. 
So that is yeah. <laughs> that. Like I said, um, for some reason, my paranoia paranoia um, when it comes to death is actually <laughs> leaving my body behind for someone oh. to take care of. That I don't know why wow. that is, but it just is. And uh, yeah. in the sense of I'm going to interact with someone who I've never met, who right. I can never meet, and they're right. actually the last person to to actually, whether it's physical, physically touch me or right. be intimate as far as whether it's putting on clothes for the, you right. know, whatever the service is. And mm-hmm. to me, yeah, it's just, you. yeah, exactly. The whole yeah. process is just... Um, I just want to be able to walk into a machine and zzz, and there's nothing left and that's it. Um, to where it's like, okay, yeah, I'm like, you know, 85. You can barely move. Let me uh, be out. But um, but I don't know. That's just my crazy thing uh, is leaving my body behind. Uh, because right. I'm so used to taking care of things and people and myself. It's so that is a step that I, I have no control of. And um, so that's, that's very interesting. Very interesting. Right. I have never heard of that. That's so funny. Like, (laughs) just not something I've ever thought about, you know, because you're not there anymore. Once you're, once you're gone, you're. Yeah. I I don't know. I've always. You just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I've always had that thought. It's something, even being young, I've, I don't know why I've had that, but it's just, um, you know, that fact of, uh. Like I said, I don't know if it's loss of control or just, um, you know, being in whatever state that you're found in. I don't care if it's an automobile accident, natural causes, whatever it is. And, um, you know, anyways, but again, that's just my crazy phobia. That's funny. That I have. <laughs> and uh, in finding out what Rebecca does, I was like, oh, I have to talk to her because, like I said, this is one of my <laughs> pet peeves that, again, everybody has to do this. Everybody has to go through this process, yeah. unfortunately. And, um, you know, and so I was like, you know, it'd be a good idea to, you know, talk to Rebecca about uh, this situation. You need to know all the steps. No, no, I don't trust. I don't, I, I <laughs> mentally know the steps and trust me, I've, I've thought about it and I know, uh, there are people out there who, uh, seen the phases of death, um, uh, back in the day, old, um, uh, movie, uh, that's supposed to have real life situations and they show like, mm-hmm. uh, the whole, you know, autopsy and, um, you know, you know, this is a whole process of, um, taking care of a body. Preparations. Yeah. 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 You know, all that good stuff. Well, I think too, like the, I think like, I don't know, like media and movies and entertainment, like it kind of has it a little bit, obviously over dramatic. Yeah. And not, not every person that dies gets an autopsy. Um, and you can go from your passing, your place of passing right into the chamber for cremation without anybody seeing you or doing anything to you. And so it, there's just, it's a lot of misunderstanding also about the process, I think, just out in the world. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and so it's kind of always, that's why I definitely like talking about it to people that have questions because it's, it can be very misunderstood the whole process as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially now in this, you know, in 2023, it's just, everything is so much more advanced and quicker. Uh, than it used to be back in the day. And, you know, not everybody has to be viewed. And, and if your wishes are to go from, you know, 
place of passing right into the chamber for cremation. And that is well known by your family. Then most family members always go by the wishes of their loved one that has passed and they are like determined to give them what they wanted. So I think that, you know, whatever your wishes would be, your, your people would definitely, you know, respect that. Yeah, I see it all the time. And also just, I was thinking about what you're saying this, like I, being in the industry for as long as I have, I still have no idea if I want to be cremated or buried. I'm like, being I don't buried. Have, oh, really? I don't have an. I don't have an opinion. Yeah. Seriously, that's that's interesting. Huh. I, yeah, I I never wanted to be uh, put in the crematory. Cremated. Yeah, a yeah. lot of people don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I because I'm I'm just old school in that sense of uh you know walk through the graveyard or you know be buried um. You know, um, and I don't know if it's just whether, you know, somebody calls you back. It's like, well, you got to form from dust. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. But in my mind, I guess, <laughs> just old school religion, which I don't even yeah. know where I'm at in that place. But for some reason, I just have the thought of I need to be buried. So that's my thing. You know, have you right. heard of human composting? Either yes. of you? Uh, no, Yes, I have not. Rebecca, have it's you ever? Not, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, just have you ever had a body that wanted to be composted or have you ever seen that personally? What is that process? I've never, I've never seen it personally. It's not legal in California yet. Oh. It's in the process of becoming legal, but it is legal in the state of Washington. And we have actually transported, I think, two bodies um, up to Washington to be composted. Um, I do not know the whole, all the like ins and outs of what exactly happens, but I think it can take up to 30 days to get a full body compost. And then they send the compost back to the family as if it was ashes. Um, Oh, I didn't know they gave it back to the family. That's crazy. Yeah. I believe it comes back to the family and then the family can do like their garden or, you know, plant a tree oh, with wow. it or. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, that kind of thing. Stop the presses. <laughs> Are you talking about the whole body goes into the ground yeah. and then becomes, yeah. oh, heck no. Body is exactly like, what it sounds it's like. It's called the night of the living dead. <laughs> you have to be in something. I don't care. And, and have to be <laughs> six feet or deeper. No way. That's crazy. It's like some kind of chamber that the body goes into. And of course they pump, you know, stuff through there and it it gets turned just like you would a compost. You have to turn the compost for it to, you know, start breaking down. And I don't know all the ins and outs of it really. I just know that it, it goes, yeah, it takes like, they put like wood chips and some other things in there with the body and they, it gets turned and and then I think it's like 30 days it takes or wow. and then they it's composted. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, pretty crazy. That sounds like some California stuff. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm surprised, surprised it's, it's illegal. Yeah, I'm surprised that's it's not funny. started in Washington, huh? That's that's very <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's coming. Dang. Okay, we're gonna go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we're gonna get into some weird uh funeral uh nine one one call. And also a situation to where um, another mortician tells her story about seeing something that she thought could be paranormal or ghostly. And uh, I want to get Rebecca's opinion on that. Then we'll talk to Rebecca and see if she's seen anything uh, paranormal. We'll be back. 
for listening to Strange Darkness Radio. We value your thoughts and opinions, and we want you to be a part of our show. You can call our Strange Darkness Radio hotline at 916-741-3032 or email us at strangedarknessradio at gmail.com to share your stories or ideas. For more updates and exclusive content, follow us on Instagram at Strange Darkness Radio, Twitter at SD Radio, and Facebook at Strange Darkness Radio to join our ever-growing Strange Darkness Radio family. Stay connected with us, and together let's keep the mystery alive. Now back to the show. All right. Um, let me see if I can play this um, 911 call because I didn't put it on the board. But uh, let's see if uh, we can get this going. Unanswered questions after a 911 call in Pueblo from a funeral home and cemetery. August 11th, just before 3.30 in the morning, the Police Department Communications Center got a call that they refer to as abandoned meaning the other person hung up. So they called back, got an answer, and heard mostly static. Hello? Hello? An officer was sent out to check out the funeral home and cemetery and says it was locked up and dark with no one in sight. That's interesting. Oh, that gave me chills. I heard a that voice in that. You know, as the as she's saying hello, you can faintly hear a voice. And uh that was interesting. The cops went to that location. They there's no oh. one to be found, no one inside. And uh, but the call was placed from that funeral home. So hmm. uh so yeah, that was interesting. That was creepy. Have you ever had anything like that happen, Rebecca? I have not. Alarms, no alarms going off in any places, and uh, we don't know who set them off or anything like that. Any doors opening no. or lights flickering or? No, I mean, not not on my watch. Of course, I'm, you know, nine to five as well. Oh, okay. um, so, I mean, our building alarms go off, but usually it's because we set them off, sent them off on accident, um, <laughs> like going in and out and that kind of thing. Um, but no, I've never, I, that was going to be my question and you answered it, Bobby. Like, did that, did they say the call came directly from the funeral home itself or because when we leave for the night, for example, our calls roll over to an answering service. So they don't get the phone directly in the office doesn't ring. Mm -hmm. So it gets rolled over to an answering service or like some other funeral homes, the phones get transferred to somebody's cell phone. So the phone in the office isn't actually ringing after hours. Okay. Got it. So that's why. Yeah. Yeah. This actually, this it was call actually a from, call from the funeral home to yeah, 911. Right. Yes, right. Yes, right. That's, that's what it was. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is very creep. uh, creepy. So, um, so, right. Re so Rebecca has any, Thing paranormal now in the sense of this okay now you said the bodies make certain type of sounds when you're picking picking it up possibly and mm -hmm. it's in a time it's it's a time thing meaning uh right. when you know when the person the person is first deceased however many hours before the you know the body settles just things fluids um depending right. on the state of the body also actually um, as right. far as if whether the body is bloated, whether depending on how the situation is, for the most part. Right. So, right. 
So when you right. guys get the body back, have you ever experienced anything that you couldn't explain or you just explained away because you're thinking like, well, that's just, you know, the normal sounds that it could possibly make or the person can possibly make? No, not. I have not. I have not experienced any of that. And I have always very much just been, this is my job and it's my job to move this person from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I've never been afraid and I've never been hyper aware at the same time, like of something that potentially could happen. Um, I've been in the funeral homes in the middle of the night by myself and I've been, I've never been afraid or of anything. Um, so I think that the initial thing where the lady's arm dropped and brushed my leg, that was like the most freaked out I've ever been of, of a dead body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I haven't experienced anything personally. I have had coworkers tell me stuff. Um, that have happened in the buildings, you know, in the middle of the night or when they were there or some even in the middle of the day. But I have not experienced anything like that myself. Okay. Uh, Well, can you tell us one of those stories? And then I'm going to tell you a story about a location that we worked together where we had um, the company bought the lot, I believe, and it it came with a, a funeral home at this particular location that we worked at together. And I have a story about that which is very interesting oh you remember okay. the, you remember the place right N- no wait no you have to refresh me was i still there yeah alhambra and stockton and it was the uh blood source and it was the uh-huh. uh the it was we called it what did we call it our meeting area when we did our meetings into that that you know that was a funeral home right I had no idea. Are you serious? All this time, the the dividers, the oh. the uh, floor drain on the floor in the, in the <laughs> back room. Well, Are you now serious? it makes sense. Wow, I had no idea. Yes, that was. I a had no home. idea. I yeah, worked the, there for twelve years. <laughs> yeah, the guards hated going in there because they have to do that safe that check, you know, and go through the building and all that. They they used to hate going in there, and we we played some tricks on a couple of security guards. <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah so yeah i can't believe you didn't know that yeah the, the big old no. divide what did you think it was like a church um set up because <laughs> it was half the big <laughs> dividers that you know cut off half the room and then right. the, the, the little pulpit area and all that stuff no that's uh well now it makes a little bit more sense yeah <laughs> i just I don't know. Just accepted it for what it see, was. See, yeah, center. you're, you're. Well, no, no. Yeah. This is the outside building. This is. It was like a pinkish color. It was uh, not the. Oh, the annex. Yes, the, it was annex. the annex. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. I did know that was a funeral home. Okay. Okay. Yes. The annex. I was trying to picture inside, like hospital services. Oh area no! 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 Not there. the warehouse. Not the oh, front. No. The annex. I did know that. Yes. I did know that. Yes. Okay. Okay. But I could. Okay. Now that you said that. Yeah. I'm totally. And you said pink building. I was like, oh yeah, that was a separate building. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Interesting. Huh. But but let's let's okay. he, let's hear your stories, and I'll get into that one. So the only the one that pops directly into my mind is we have we have a funeral home, um, and above the funeral home is an apartment, and the apartment has been used like the. The old owners used to like live here before, live in the apartment, and they moved on and got a house. And so the apartment just always was kind of stayed workable and usable for staff that may need to stay 
you know, overnight or they don't have transportation, whatever. Like the apartment is used often, it's used by the family members that want to come and stay. And this funeral home is in a very touristy area in California. So staff members will use the apartment to come and like be a part of, you know, the area for the weekend. And I've had multiple people tell me that in the apartment, it's a one bedroom, but in the doorway of the bedroom in the middle of the night, they'll wake up and they'll see a lady in white standing in the doorway. Mm. And I have stayed in this apartment many, many, many times. And I've never experienced that. My sister stayed here with me one time and she told me later on that she doesn't feel anything. She's very, she's of the opposite of I am. Like she can feel if there's something there, something amiss, something may have happened. Maybe somebody's spirit is still lingering. She can very much feel all those things, but I do not. Mm -hmm. And in this apartment that we stayed at, she mentioned to me, she said, you know, I can feel something in this apartment. And I had already known about the lady in white. And I never told her. And I said, well, where is it in the apartment that you feel, you know, that something is present? And she said, well, it's in the bedroom. And so I know that she may not have even seen the lady in white, but that she can definitely feel her presence. And I don't doubt it at all. I just know that it's not something that I'm accustomed to seeing, if that makes sense. So that is in one of the funeral homes, there's another funeral home where there was a lady who, they're all ladies, which is interesting, would hang out in the bathroom of that funeral home and multiple people would see her and describe her the exact same way, just in the middle of the day, or they'll hear they'll hear something and then it'll be from that bathroom specifically and they won't see her, but they'll hear something. Um, and, but it's just, it's just interesting because it does happen and I fully believe it. I just unfortunately haven't had the opportunity or the pleasure to witness it myself. Um, I actually I, wait. Am, I don't know about the pleasure. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> only because. I mean, every story I've heard has never been anything like threatening or scary. Yeah, it's always just been we saw somebody or I saw somebody, and um, you know, and that was it. Like I have yet to hear of something that were like. It ran somebody off because it like scared the crap out of them or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this, I happen to be staying in that apartment right now. Um, and so you're, this you're, is the first. Are you in the bedroom or are you in the main uh, living room area? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, what? currently I'm in the living room. <laughs> wow. I'm not in the bedroom. But um, like I said, I've stayed here many, many, many times. And right now I'm staying here because my air conditioner at my place is out. And like oh. you guys were mentioning at the beginning, it is a hundred thousand degrees right now in California. Yes. So I came here to stay and we have a, it's a very old building. This building has been here, I think since like the 1940s. So it's very old. And so this apartment oh, wow. doesn't have, it doesn't have like central heat and air, but there's a window air conditioner mm-hmm. in the front in the living room and there's one in the bedroom and I went into the bedroom the other morning and I noticed that where it would no- normally say like what the temperature is like you know 68 degrees 72 degrees it said zero zero mm. and I thought that was that's weird like I didn't set it to zero zero and I kind of brushed it off I didn't think anything of it and then you know I kind of pushed a couple buttons and then it set reset back but I hadn't touched it. Yeah. And then 
Huh. This morning, I came out into the living room to check the one in the living room. And that one changed from Fahrenheit to Celsius is what I'm thinking because it says it's set at 20 degrees and it doesn't go any higher than like 29. Yeah. But I didn't touch it. <laughs> I was yeah, last night when I went to bed, it was set at like 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. So, see, see, Rebecca, these are the things weird. that I'm talking about that you're just <laughs> brushing off as, hmm, <laughs> let's see, there's a, this little man snuck into the house, which is a problem right. still, and changed right. all these things. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's that's uh, activity. I mean, it's something, you know, not saying what it is. The whole paranormal thing is not know the not knowing the the whole definition right. of it. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, that's that's wow, that's interesting. And you're staying in this apartment by yourself, not and you don't I. get creeped out, and you don't get scared. <laughs> Yeah. Like I'm here how? I'm here with my dog. <laughs> I have my dog oh, with me. Okay. I don't but I don't know. I'm not. I've never been really spooked or anything. Um and as aside from these things with the air conditioners these past couple of days, I haven't experienced anything to make me feel uncomfortable. So I don't know. They knew you were doing the podcast because you were talking about (laughs) it. We've been talking about it. And so um, she's welcome to make her presence known if she wants (laughs) to in the particular area you are in. But you you seem to be a person that doesn't, like, like it rolls off your back. Like if something were to happen, you might sit there and have a conversation with somebody without even blinking like okay tell me about your life story like let's you know let me let me grab some wine here and uh we can discuss what's going on and try to get you to that next place right i mean i definitely the first air conditioner i was like well that's just weird and i definitely blew that one off but then this morning when i looked at the complete other one and the other opposite side and i was like "Mm," that's when i was like i think somebody's messing with me a little bit yeah. <laughs> so, like but, multiple people don't have access to that apartment, do they? No, nobody can get in. Like the the door has like a keypad lock on it, the door to the apartment. Yeah. So, and when you go out the door of the apartment, it leads you down into the funeral home. Mm. Um, but the doors, oh like God. there's no way you have to have like codes and stuff to get into the building. So, I don't feel like nobody can just walk in, you know, it's like they would have to go through multiple obstacles, like breaking down things. And I would definitely hear way ahead of time before anybody could get in. And my dog is very much an alarm dog, yeah. you know? So I feel like if she, every, there has been a few times she just starts barking at the door for no reason. I will say that. And then I just open the door to show her that nobody's there, but she has really, 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 really good hearing and so I fully trust her that if she's barking, she heard something for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the dogs, yeah. um, so you don't they think say she's sense. experiencing anything? I, maybe. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's so funny, you guys. Because she can't tell you. Before the show, we were talking and I was like, oh, we could have did the podcast at this place, you know, and had um, Carolyn, you know, Skype in and I would have had it all set up and everything like that. I was like, no. Now hearing this, I'm like, nope. It would not have happened. I would have said no <laughs> to that. Because, no, you guys should have. No, that the creep cool. factor is too real for me. Um, again, I'm exploring <laughs> these things verbally, not um, physically. <laughs> right. Well, but, and I wasn't even supposed to be here tonight. I was supposed to be back at my at my place, and I yeah. actually 
was here over the weekend and drove back home and my air conditioner still wasn't fixed and turned around and came right back up. Oh, wow. So, yeah. You're a trooper. You're a trooper. So, so you know, with what the story that you said goes perfectly into this story of a mortician named Carrie who's had an paranormal experience or could be a ghostly experience. Uh, You guys be the judge. So we're going to go ahead and play that now. A lot of funeral homes are old homes or are... um places where, I mean, the funeral directors lived and, you know, deaths occur in funeral directors' families as well within those buildings. So the day that this happened, um, I was sitting in an office and to my right, there was the front door and there's a huge window above the front door. So people would walk in, come up like four or five steps and the office was right there. So I was sitting there, the sun was shining in that window, and um, the other girl working in the office with me had gone down to the basement to um, do some work for a minute. And because we, the arrangement room was downstairs and um, we had kind of a workspace down there as well. So she was down there working and I was just uh, looking down, writing, and um, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a figure come up, the sun was blacked out, and walked down um, past me on the right-hand side and down the hall towards where like the bathrooms and one of the visitation rooms was. And so I thought that the girl downstairs had come upstairs and had gone in to put something in the visitation room, which is what she would have been going to do coming from downstairs from what she had been working on. And so um, when like five minutes later, she actually walked upstairs, I kind of caught my breath and said, you will never believe, but somebody walked past me like five minutes ago. And she said, what are you talking about? And I'm like, seriously, somebody came from downstairs, walked up, blocked out the light, walked past me, and went back to the visitation room. And the funeral director that had lived in the building and um, had had been there for forever um, had died. And it was within a year of this happening, I would say. Um, and I was, I don't know, it's so silly to say, but I always felt like maybe he was still around and um, I had always enjoyed him, always enjoyed working with him, and he died at an older age, and um, so that's who I believe it was, but I could be wrong, um, but there definitely was somebody there, and there definitely blocked out the light, and I never even looked up because I thought it was the girl. So um, it's not a crazy story of a floating apparition or anything that I saw, you know. I wish I would have turned and looked, but I didn't because I assumed that it was Attention podcasters, are you ready to unlock the full potential of your audio recordings? Look no further than GIK Acoustics, now proudly affiliated with Strange Darkness Radio. Introducing the ultimate solution for impeccable sound quality on your podcast or studio, 
Brought to you by GIK Acoustics in partnership with Strange Darkness Radio. Say goodbye to unwanted background noise and hello to a professional audio experience. With GIK Acoustics, you can ensure that every word you speak resonates with clarity and power. Their expertly designed sound panels, bass traps, and diffusers are meticulously crafted to create an acoustic environment that captivates your audience like never before. Visit our affiliate link on our Facebook fan page or find it in our show notes to access this exclusive collaboration. By harnessing the power of GIK Acoustics in partnership with Strange Darkness Radio, you can unlock a world of acoustic excellence for your podcast. GIK Acoustics in partnership with Strange Darkness Radio. Embrace the darkness and let your voice shine. Now let's get back to Strange Darkness Radio. That was by Carrie Northey. Hope I'm saying her last name correct. Um, but um, yeah, it's very uh, interesting story because it kind of sounds like yours in the sense of having a place that people stay at or possible, you know, can possibly live at along that's mm-hmm. ad- adjacent to the actual funeral home, and um, and not thinking about the people who actually live in these spaces that have passed on that you know, for whatever reason, whether they like the process of what they do. You know how you, you, they say things repeat and you keep repeating the same thing. You get ready for work, you go downstairs, you, yeah. you know, do the whole process and you come back up and you, you know, you hear yeah. those same sounds and it's just the person going through their day-to-day things that you just mm-hmm. can't see. So um, that's that's interesting. I really feel like, so I believe like her, I believe what she saw was was real because i feel like people spirits of people will linger from where they pass Mm -hmm. and that's just kind of my own opinion um people don't usually pass at the funeral home um you know but like that's true but like if but if this if this man like was living you know if he had the house next to or above or on the side or connected to the funeral home that makes complete sense to me like i feel like she probably hit the nail on the head and you know that that probably was you know the old guy she had worked with for all those years especially if he had been living there because also i feel like if somebody has established something and that was like his legacy that funeral home he doesn't want to leave it yeah. So I could I could definitely see that being being something for real. Yeah, um, and I can see it even <laughs> from the side of how my phobia is to where I'm looking at my body being processed mm-hmm. and whatever else because I'm like so like you know um, you know watching over myself to say you know suffices to say to be like okay are they taking care of me are they doing this right are they you know right. you know I, I can see myself doing that and. You know, if yeah. I'm capable, opposed to just haunting the funeral home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> making sure they're well, not haunting. Care. I'm observing and watching just and making there. sure exactly they're not yeah. uh, dropping me on the floor or well, something. No, I'm just <laughs> well, I can <laughs> I can tell you this: there have been times when I have because I have done everything from picking the person up all the way through cre- do, doing their cremation, you know, processing the cremation down, like everything I've done beginning to end. And I can tell you that there have been times when I know that this person that I am trying to process in one way or another does not want to cooperate. Oh, <laughs> and that's there has, 
Yeah, there has been a few times where I've gotten frustrated with the pro- and it, and it's like the from the beginning, like from picking them up, like something went wrong, something happened, working with the doctor's office or the coroner's office, like there's a delay, you know, something unusual happens in the administrative side of it. Um, and then all the, all the way through to the cremation. I mean, I've had I've had cases like that where I'm just like, come on, dude, like work with me because yeah, see, I he, need to, you know. Here, here's the thing, Rebecca. The person is really saying I was killed. And the the um, guy just signed off the death certificate, never did an autopsy, and I'm trying to get you to stop this process. Right, investigate. Of- oh, <laughs> I can tell Things you like the that. one. The one guy that stands out was a suicide. Oh, wow. And it was the most difficult from, like I said, the beginning all the way through to the end, getting this guy cremated and put into the urn and ready for the family. Like, it was just very, to me, I was like talking to him. I'm like, you got to help me out. Mm. <laughs> so I'm by myself, yeah. trying to do all, like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong with this case. And I've, in all of my years of working, I've never dropped a body. I've never let a body accidentally fall on the floor. And Mm -hmm. I'm telling you this, this man was all of the things all the way through to the cremation, even being like something I'd never dealt with before. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. And that was, and that was the most extreme one I had. There have been other ones, but that was the most extreme one I've had. And I was like, dude, come on. (laughs) Help me out here. Yeah, <laughs> Trying to ex- do my job. Exactly. So um, have you ever had any weird situations to where um, the families asked for something that was kind of, um, you know, weird in the sense of whether it was from a religious standpoint or something with the, you know, the body as far as like, um, you know, to not pray over it, but add certain you know, um, trinkets that were, uh, religious artifacts and all that stuff. Yeah. There's been, um, quite a few families that I've worked with where you go and pick up the body and they have coins over their eyes already. Oh, that's, I thought um, that was and, in, uh, <laughs> dark yeah. ages when they did the whole coin from, thing. Cause there's a, there's a reason why they do the coins. I forgot. I can't think of it right now. It's to pay the ferryman yes. of the on the river yeah. of death, okay. right? There goes. To get to the other side. Yeah. Yep. And Old and school. so they'll put the coins on their eyes and then they'll stay all the way up until either burial or cremation, which is interesting. They want them back. Um, there is also families that don't want their person picked up for three days. So they keep them at home on dry ice for the first three days. Like they cannot be cremated or buried for the first three days after passing. And then there's also the other side of that to where they need to be in the ground as soon as possible. I mean, we're talking like within 24 hours, which is pretty much impossible in this day and age, just because of the steps we have to legally take before we can put somebody in the ground. Um, and there are also um, religions where the same idea as the coins, the pers- people will bring actual cash and put cash in these caskets with their loved one and to be buried so they have money on the other side to do what they might need to do with it. Wow. So the, the cash one to me is very interesting because, I mean, that's money that can be used on this side to me, <laughs> but they yeah. have this po- they have this belief that they they're going to need it. And so they will do 
even their flower arrangements with money incorporated into these flower arrangements. Oh. So, oh, yeah. I've never heard so of that. Very, That's interesting. Yeah, it's very, there's like all like thousands of dollars in like flower arrangements at these funerals. It's in, oh, very wow. interesting. Man, that's, that's, wow. Um, ho- hopefully it's not thousands upon thousands of dollars. I, it just seems like a lot because yeah. it's probably like dollar bills, but still, oh, okay. it just seems like, you know, a lot. Um, but, you know, each to their own and we respect everybody and their oh, wishes sure. and yeah. what, you know, whatever they want to do. We do our best to accommodate, um, you know, for their family and their loved one that's passed. So that is interesting. Okay, well, uh, we have one more story, and it's a long story, so you guys have to uh, bear with me with this. Um, it's 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 very uh, long, and um, the whole thing about this is it's an it's an intriguing story. It's a story that I got from Reddit. It's a very popular story. It's been used a lot, but I I find it very interesting for this particular. Um, segment on uh the topic that we're speaking of so let's go ahead and uh check this out this is the last one for the night christmas eve in the land of the dead it was christmas eve and i was working in the embalming room of a funeral home the embalming room was everything the cop shows your grandparents watch conditioned you to think it was A cold, utilitarian space with puke-green tiles on the walls, tiles on the floor, and harsh fluorescent lighting. A row of freezers were to one side, and an office area lay to the other. In the middle was a metal table where the magic happened. A large man with marble-blue skin and a distended stomach was laid out like a Thanksgiving turkey in hell, a thin white sheet covering his privates. Christmas music drifted from an ancient transistor radio on a high shelf, and snow filled the sole window. Death never takes a break, and neither did I. I was in that morbid little room on the 4th, my birthday, and yes, Christmas. It was easy to lose track of time and your own sanity, so I tried to keep things festive. Aside from my gloves and apron, I wore a jaunty Santa hat with a palm that would hit me in the face if I turned my head too fast. That night... I was alone save for a body in the viewing room across the hall, and of course my current patient. The body in the viewing room was that of a youngish man in his mid-forties named Mr. Erickson, who died of a brain aneurysm. He was sitting down to dinner with his family when it hit. One minute he was laughing and planning Christmas for his kids, the next he was face down in his mashed potatoes and everyone was crying. That's how quick death happens sometimes. I hope I don't sound callous, but maybe I kind of am. You have to be in order to do this job. When they wheel in dead toddlers still in their Spider-Man PJs, you can't go to pieces. And you always focus on the little things if you aren't careful. One time, this little boy came in and he had a temporary tattoo of SpongeBob on his arm. You remember putting those stupid things on? You wet the sticker, hold it on, and then take it off? Such a wholesome image. And here the kid was dead. I don't know. Maybe if I was a better writer, I'd be able to articulate why that sort of thing disturbs me. Since I have to say something, I'll say this. Kids shouldn't die. They shouldn't, but they do, and someone has to take care of their bodies. Anyway, I was nodding along to Winter Wonderland Asterisk and draining Mr. Thompson's blood when a loud crash rang through the empty building. I jumped a foot and inadvertently yanked the nozzle out of Mr. Thompson's abdomen. I fell back a step and bumped onto the machine. 
a sort of vacuum. Wouldn't you know it tipped over and the top came off? Blood swept across the floor like the Red Sea closing on Pharaoh's army, and the nozzle fell from my hand, clattering to the table. God damn it, I said through my teeth. There was a drain in the middle of the floor so cleanup wouldn't be that bad. But still, I was so worried about the mess I had made that it wasn't until I was filling the mop bucket from the slop sink when it hit me. Wait a minute, wasn't there a loud noise? I looked at the closed door with a foreboding feeling. I cut the sink and listened, but heard nothing. It was probably one of the coffins in the showroom. A few were propped upright like those picks you saw from the Old West. Some dead gunslinger with a dour undertaker standing beside him like a fisherman with his prize catch. And sometimes they took a header. When I was finished mopping up this mess, I'd check it out. Pushing the wheeled bucket to the center of the room, I started to swab the deck, whistling Step into Christmas by Elton John. I'm real sorry about that, I told Mr. Thompson honestly. Sometimes I can be a real boob. He didn't reply. Which is a good thing. You can talk to the dead and be okay. If they start talking back, though, you got a problem. I opened my mouth to say something else, but the words cut off when another sound came, this one quieter than the first. For a second, I wasn't sure that I had heard it at all. Then it repeated, a soft, scraping sort of noise like sandpaper on a block of wood. I turned to the door, and as I did so, I realized what it was. Footsteps. My heart began to race. As if on cue, the light seeping in through the crack at the bottom of the door flickered, like something had passed in front of it. My heart dropped into the pit of my stomach and my hands tightened on the mop. Someone was here. My mind raced with a thousand possibilities, each more terrible than the last. The funeral home wasn't in the best part of town, and crime had a way of, you know, happening. Just recently, someone got faded two streets over, and a while back, some dude slid by a crack house with an AK and dumped a clip. I don't know why anyone would want to break into a funeral home, but hey, here we are. The shadow moved slowly, the hissing sound of its dragging footfalls so loud that I could hear them over the pounding of my own heart. I lifted the mop like a club and licked my lips. I started to call something, Hey, buddy, I got a mop and I'm not afraid to use it, but that seemed really stupid, so I kept my mouth shut. The shadow passed by, and for a long time, nothing else happened. Then I heard the telltale clunk of the rear door at the end of the hall opening. I waited a little while after I heard it close again, then I tossed the mop aside and crept to the door. I pressed my ear to it and listened. Nothing. Sure that the danger had passed and that I absolutely wouldn't confront a junked-out burglar, I flung the door open and strode out into the hall like my name was John Wayne. That's right, you better run. I swaggered over to the door and pushed it open. A cold blast of wet, wind-driven snow hit me in the face and I choked. The building backed up to a parking lot, and on one side, a stand of trees separated it from a string of backyards open to each other. I spotted a dark figure shuffling away, but as soon as I had a bead on him, he disappeared into the trees. I looked around, and there, in the snow, was a single set of footprints leading away, slightly smeared as though the perp had been dragging a broken foot behind him. A nervous laugh welled up from my throat, and I shut the door. Come back and face me. 
I hurriedly shut and locked the door in case he decided to do just that. Better go see what he stole. The first place I went was to the showroom. Nothing was missing and none of the coffins were upset. Huh. What did I hear then? In the next room over, I found it. A sleek pine casket lay on the floor of the viewing room, its hinges snapped and one of its two little doors standing open. Ah, oh, shit. Those things were expensive. Even worse, what kind of shape was the body in? I went over and moved the coffin. Ha, huh, what body? Mr. Erickson, he of the brain aneurysm at dinner, was gone. I checked the whole room, even behind the door in case he was playing hide-and-seek. No go. He was nowhere to be found. I ran to the back door and threw it open. The rapidly falling snow had filled the footprints in just as cleanly as if they had never been there at all. A shiver went down my spine. Defeated, I went into the office to call my boss. Later, the police came and took my statement. Their theory was that someone had taken Mr. Erickson, and that was a good theory. What else could have happened to him? He didn't just get up and walk away, did he? Cue nervous laughter. On Christmas morning, the Erickson kids woke to find their dead father sitting in his lazy boy facing the tree, as if to watch them open presents. I can only imagine their screams of utter, mind-bending horror. The cops said it was a sick joke of some kind and left it at that. I bought into that for a long time, but it was bullshit. First of all, I saw one man. How could one man carry the corpse of a 210-pound man by himself? Bride over the threshold style? That didn't make any sense. It was possible, though. I mean, it did sound like the guy was struggling to move. Something in the back of my mind, some dark, primal, reptilian instinct, however, doesn't believe that. I know it's insane, but if you ask me... Mr. Erickson wanted to spend one last Christmas with his family. That was creepy. <laughs> Is that a I true know you, story? Um, I don't know. It was on Reddit. It That's... said it was true, so... That is creepy. Guy's experience. It was a long story, but I thought it was uh, really uh, told well. And uh, Sky, you know, she did a great job on that one because <laughs> great job, wild. Sky. I love, I love the <laughs> new AI. But, um, but yeah. So Rebecca, what did you think about that? Um, I've never, I've never heard that before. Like I think you said earlier that I'm, we may have heard it, heard about it before, but I never heard that. I've never heard anything like that before. But I'm, I don't know, like, I don't have any, like, opinion one way or the other that, oh, yeah, that's just a made up, you know, yeah. feel good I mean, Christmas story. To- yeah, you it know? totally can be made up, whatever. But it was very interesting and just intriguing, the whole process sure. of him or whoever this person was telling that particular story. And, well, um, and I think, too, like, also with, like, her saying, you know, that she, like, fell back and she hit the machine, like, she was completely stopped. Yeah. In doing what she was supposed to be doing. And, and so that's where I'm just like, hmm, that's interesting that, you know, that happened. And then, you know, now he's gone, yeah. basically. So she didn't get she didn't get to continue doing what she was supposed to be doing, basically. Yeah, exactly. Or he. Yeah, I think it was a You he. know, some of the creepiest stories when I was researching this topic um, were actually cases where, you know, They'd have a body brought to the funeral home and and then they'd be starting their process or whatever. 
and suddenly the body would talk or it would sit upright and they would realize that this person had been pronounced dead, but they weren't actually dead. And (laughs) I read several stories like that. Have you ever heard of anything like that? I have. I've definitely have heard of that before, but I've never, it's never happened in my experience, but I, I have definitely heard of it. I've read the stories on it as well. You know, that, you know, Mrs. So-and-so was picked up and brought and all of a sudden, you know, she's talking and or in the back of the van and yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll be on my last day at work. Right. I'll probably pull over the vehicle and leave it and just call as I'm walking down the street, calling an Uber. (laughs) (laughs) I I quit. That's it. Yes. Right. Yeah, I've never experienced that, but I yes, I have heard that before. That's wild. Yeah. So, what, that is crazy. Wild. That's so crazy. Rebecca, what do you want people to know about morticians, funeral directors? You guys seem like a angel <laughs> angel brigade to do the do the mm-hmm. task and duties that you guys do is just uh, unreal. I mean, I think that the biggest thing is to know that we're we're human as well. And, you know, having to walk, you know, basically strangers through one of the hardest times of their life. It takes, a, I think, a very specific person to be able to do that. Um, and just to know that people that work in funeral homes are there because they want to be there, not because they have to be there. And to, they want to be able to help these families through the process getting their person, you know, taken care of, whether it's for cremation or burial or a viewing or whatever it is. And, and that it's something that we want to do. And I think that that's important, especially because these families are entrusting strangers, you know, with their person that just died. And that's a really big deal. Um, but from my experience, there's nobody in the business that doesn't want to be there. Yeah. And I think that that's really important, um, you know, and to know that we treat their loved ones with the utmost respect from the very beginning to the very end. And even though, like I was saying earlier, you know, like that person isn't there in that body, like it's just the cavity. It's still, it's still somebody's person. It's still somebody's loved one. And it's our duty to treat them with respect, you know, all the way through to the end. So I think it's just important that people recognize that going into the funeral home industry or into the business with their loved one, that these people are there to take care of the living and the dead both. Yeah, definitely. Well, from me, thank you for what you do. And uh, it's an incredible job and you do an incredible job at what you do. You, you've always have uh, for sure. You're you're an amazing person. And I want to thank you for coming on tonight's show. Carolyn, do you have any last words for Rebecca Dillian? Um, just kind of what Bobby said. I mean, thank you so much for what you do. It's it's so important and it's something that people really don't think about or want to think about right. or talk about much. And, you know, I don't know how much, how thankful people are or how much appreciation you get, but really what you're doing is so important. And um, we all need that. You know, we're all going to need these services at I'm, some point. I'm inventing you know. a machine to <laughs> make your job obsolete. Bobby wants it automated for his... For his. <laughs> Bobby wants to beam me up right yes, off the bat. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing left behind. Uh-huh. But yeah, well, thank, thank you, guys you so much. For every- yeah, of course. No, thank you guys. I really appreciate you having me on.
Oh, no. Thank you. All right. That yeah, was tonight's episode. Carolyn, anything, any last words? Um, and uh, thank you. Welcome back to the show, I should say. And um, hopefully you won't be uh, missing uh, any shows coming uh, oh, up lately right. or soon, I should say. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, no, I hope not. I hope to be here for the rest of the shows. Um, and yeah, just thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for coming on the show. This is such an interesting yeah, topic. Welcome. Yeah. And you know, yeah, another anytime. thing, I feel like a lot of people in the industry aren't, um, I don't know if they just don't feel like it's a taboo or if they just don't want to open up about it, but I feel like it's hard to get to people in the industry to open up and talk about this. So yeah, just thank you for coming on. It's a good show. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys. All right. Thank you. In this captivating bonus segment, Carolyn Gray engages in a compelling conversation with her father, Mr. Gray, as he shares an eerie story he heard from a funeral director, recounting spine-chilling encounters with paranormal activity at the funeral home. Okay, so remember when you told me that when you went to um, East Lawn to talk to the funeral director there, you told me that you asked him if he had ever seen a ghost or you asked him something about ghosts. What did you ask him and what did he say? That was several years ago. I gotta tell you though, first off, that I've met a lot of people that claim to have seen ghosts or had paranormal experiences like that. I never have, so the stories I have are hearsay that I've heard from other people, but this this funeral director that I spoke to uh, where my mom and dad are buried, uh, he said, well, I asked him, hey, just kind of, almost in jest, you know, I was just making conversation. So, you know, you get a lot of dead people coming through here and coming and going. Have you ever seen anything weird, like anything that you can't explain? Has anybody here experienced anything like that, like a ghost? And when I brought that up, his face changed and it became really pale. And it's like, oh, I had just pressed a button that I shouldn't have because he got very uncomfortable and it seemed like something that he didn't want to really talk about. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he did say the first thing he said is, you know, we're really not supposed to talk about this with uh, customers um, or visitors. So he actually but, he actually said that to you, that they're not allowed, like, like it's yeah. like a policy. They're not allowed to talk about that. Yeah, it freaks people out. So, you know. Wow. They're already freaked out about their dead relatives, so why freak them out more with <laughs> yeah. ghost stories? Uh, I guess. But anyway, you know, he to be polite, he answered my question. He said, well, okay, I'm going to tell you the truth. Actually, there are a lot of weird things that happen here all the time. And many of the employees, most of the employees here have experienced something. They've seen something, they felt something, they heard something that couldn't be explained, you know. Really? And he didn't go into too many details, but he did say that most of this happens at nighttime when it's dark. And, you know, they, the employees that work there are there from a normal eight to five shift. Mm-hmm. So he says, you know, when it's daylight, uh, when, it, when we go from daylight savings time back to standard time and it gets dark at like five o'clock at night, he said, 
people make a beeline out the door right at five, get into their cars, drive away, get away from that place <laughs> as fast as they can, because it scares them. I mean, it's like everybody that works there. They don't want to stay after no, they dark. Don't stay. And he really said that to you? Yeah, he told me another story too. He said, uh, okay, so this is a company that owns different mortuaries and cemeteries kind of all over the region, I guess. But they have a headquarters office in downtown Sacramento, which is a, a few floors that they occupy, I guess. Or maybe they have other less, uh, lessees. But in the basement of that building is the Sacramento County coroner. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a, you know, those TV shows we see about um, medical, what do you call them, medical inspector? Like mes- investigation shows, medical investigation. Yeah, but what do you call the title, the medical examiner? What's the... Oh, yeah, like a coroner or a medical examiner. Okay. And so, um, you know, so again, it's like a funeral home where there's a lot of dead people being processed in and out of that place. Mm-hmm. So he said that he was working there and he was on like the second or third floor uh, in an office and working alone and he was working after hours. And he knew that there was only other one other person in the building because everybody else had gone home. And that person would have been the primary security guard that kind of sat at the front desk in the lobby of the first floor. So he was a couple floors down. And so, you know, no big deal, but he was working and he had to print some papers, some reports or whatever. And the copy room was outside his office and you had to go down a corridor and down another corridor to get there. Mm-hmm. So he said that he printed some papers and he left and he because he was coming right back, he left the light on and he left the door open. Okay. So he came back and to his surprise, the door was closed. It wasn't locked, but it was closed and the light was out. Okay. (laughs) That's weird. I'm, I was sure that I left the light on and left the door open. So he sat back down, didn't take much of it, was doing his work. And then he had to print something again. So same thing, but he he said to himself, okay, this time I'm going to pay really close attention. I'm leaving the light on and I'm definitely leaving the door open. Mm -hmm. Got his copies, came back, the lights were off and the door was closed. Oh my God, that's creepy. So so he called the security guard and let's say the guy's name was Joe. He said, Joe, have you been up here to do your rounds? I mean, did you come and close the office I'm working in? And he said, no, I haven't been up there in hours. And so they're the only two people in the building. Yeah. And they have surveillance to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, this happened. And so as soon as he was convinced that something weird was going on, he just gathered his papers, put them in his bag or his suitcase or his uh, briefcase and got out of there. Got out of there. <laughs> he said he never worked late again. Yeah, I don't blame him. That same funeral home, I if you want to hear one more, I did hear another weird one where um, I was visiting my mom's burial site. She was cremated, so she's her urn containing her ashes are in a 
mausoleum in a window mm -hmm. that you can go in and visit. I was there during the day and I came out and there was this guy standing there who looked like he worked there. And because I'm curious and nosy and never mind my own business, I asked him, have you ever seen or experienced anything weird here? <laughs> and he had an accent. I think he was Ukrainian. And he said, no, uh, you know, not really. So I thought, okay, that's good. That's good to know, actually. <laughs> and so I was walking away and he said, wait a minute. There was one thing. Let me tell you. And I turned around and he said, there was this one time that I had to, he's the guy that takes the backhoe and digs the graves to inter people, okay? Or that's okay. one of his jobs. He's kind of a groundskeeper. Mm -hmm. And he uh, he said that he, had, he was sent to go and um, exhume a coffin from a grave, and it was an old grave that belonged to an infant who had died. Okay, so it was buried there. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so he did that. He dug the grave up and removed the coffin and just kind of set it, uh, you know, on the side or whatever. And he's going to finish that later because it was his lunch break and uh, or something, and he was going to take a break. So he sat down on one of the benches, he told me. And um, he was tired and he kind of dozed off. And while he was in that in-between state of sleep and consciousness, kind of mm -hmm. not quite fully asleep, but not really awake either, he said that he saw a woman walking toward him. And she seemed to be upset. And she was dressed in the costume of a nurse, but from decades ago, like the 1940s or 1950s or something. And um, she was walking right toward him and she was carrying a dead infant in her arms. Oh, and wow. when he realized what was going on, he kind of shook awake suddenly and abruptly and, uh, you know, shook his head and the, the image, you know, left, it was gone. But huh. he saw that, and it was right when he was involved in, you know, interfering Exhuming with that child's grave. So, you know, who knows? Maybe his own imagination or something. Did he said. did he tell you that he thought it was related to the grave he was digging up? He didn't seem like a, a guy that was too concerned about ghosts mm -hmm. or spirits. He didn't believe in that stuff. He didn't seem to believe in it. He just uh, he just kind of brushed it off as well, you know. It's something that happened. Can't yeah. totally explain it, but he didn't think that there was any big deal about it. He just thought it was interesting to share that that happened to him. That is interesting. I wonder. I'm sure you didn't ask or he didn't tell you, but it would have been interesting to check the dates on that grave to see if it was from that same time period, you know, the 40s or 50s, from when the nurse was dressed from yeah that would have been interesting but we never uh, i mean the conversation kind of ended and i didn't want to press too much because really you know when the people you talk to that work in that business a lot of them don't really want to discuss it they probably much, don't yeah they probably don't want to think about that and get freaked out more yeah
<laughs> anyway, those are some of the stories I remember. Yeah, thanks for telling me. I I really wanted to ask you about that because you kind of told me it a couple of years ago, just like as a passing comment, but I didn't really ask you about it and we didn't get into it, so. Yeah. But did the funeral director say anything else just besides that no one stays after dark, he's not allowed to talk about it, he didn't, and that one story from the coroner's office, he didn't have anything else? No, that's, well, yeah, this was many years ago that I had that conversation, I think. Everything I've given you is pretty much everything that we talked about. Okay. So, all hearsay secondhand. I didn't see yeah. any ghosts. <laughs> and I've been after that cemetery quite a bit. I never saw a ghost. But I was always there during the day. So Dad, that's the cemetery that I went with Jonathan at night and a ghost screamed at me. That's that I it was at that cemetery East Lawn on Greenback. That's Have I told you that story? Really haunted, it sounds like. Yeah, you I told think, me that. I think it was a ghost. Jonathan thinks it was just a homeless guy or a crackhead or something, but I think it was a ghost. It's a more plausible explanation. <laughs> no, it's not, because why would a crackhead be hanging out in a cemetery by themselves at night? I think it was a ghost. Well, there's okay. a lot of benches out there they can sleep on. That's true, and it's a safe place where they can go where no one's going to probably bother them. But And you know, right behind that cemetery is a pet cemetery. Shut up. <laughs> no, it, it is. It's a, it's a cemetery. It's part of the same you know company that owns that. Oh, actually, that's true. I've seen it back there. Yeah, right, there and I, I never saw any ghosts there either. Those are mostly um, <laughs> canine dogs that, you know, Cops were really oh, attached dogs. to in their crews, and when they died, the cops wanted to give them a, you know, kind of special burial for all the service to the public that they did. Some of those dogs die in the line of duty, too. Military dogs, yeah, too. There was kind and of a famous some... story that happened. Yeah. In Sacramento, like a couple years ago, there was like a, a dog that died. I think it was probably just old. I don't think he died doing anything, but it was like a, a canine dog, cop dog. And I remember it was like a big news story in Sacramento. Oh, well, a cop, you know, the canine dog, they came around with them in their patrol car. That's their partner, you know. Yeah. And a bond definitely forms between two cops that are partners on patrol. And uh, those dogs are like cops. <laughs> yeah, they are. And you know what else? When you go to East Lawn, the very front part of it that you can see from Greenback when you're driving by, those are all cops. All of those graves are cops. And a lot of them died, died in the line of duty. They died young. Really? I didn't yeah, know that. I noticed that one of the times I went there. Yeah. Thanks, Dad.
We learned that for the, at least eight, the past eight years, military pilots frequently encountered unknown objects in controlled airspace off both the east and west coast across the continental United States in test and training areas and ranges. We don't know where they are. They come from, who made them, or how they operate. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My God. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Oh, I think, dude. Cleveland County 911. I don't know if I should have thought it in or not, but... What's going on? If I had my camera, I'd take a picture of it. Take a picture of who? I don't know what... I don't know what it was. He's walking upright like a man. I would not kill it because I was afraid to. But he went back up the mountain.